Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In countless churches across our city and across our nation this morning, preachers are delivering sermons with the purpose and the intention of inspiring people to be the best versions of themselves in this new year and seven easy steps that you can take to achieve that. And while self-motivation and discipline are good virtues to aspire to, and I hope that we do consider how to cultivate those things in our lives, I don't believe that they are the most important things for Christians to hear about whenever ringing in a new year. This sermon today will not leave you with a checklist of motivational thoughts. It will not tickle your self-help fancy. It will not inspire you to sign up for your 8th gym membership or take up rock climbing. It will, however, teach you about the circumcision of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, why is that a topic that you should be interested in today? It isn't practical. It won't sell any books. It will not promote numerical growth in our church. It won't get me a promotion at work or you. It probably will get you a few strange looks around the water cooler if it's a topic of conversation that you bring up at the office, right? And I must admit that, like you, I understand how strange it is that we would celebrate such a thing this morning in such, you know, mixed company. But then as I began to pray and study and read, I began to remember that there is nothing more motivational, nothing more inspiring, nothing more central to the identity of the Christian than the person and work of Jesus Christ and everything that comes with that, including his work as an infant, even at eight days old. So, make your resolutions, pull out the task lists at home, set goals, but after today, you will do so knowing more of who Christ is and who you are in Him. You will be more anchored in your Savior who loves you unconditionally, who came for you and for your salvation, the one who at eight days old began to bleed for you. That's what the circumcision of our Lord was. It's the first blood that He would spill in His rescue mission to seek and save the lost. It's a prefiguring, a foreshadowing of what is to come. The blood that He would go on to spill on the cross to save you and to give you eternal life in His kingdom. So as I mentioned before, our gospel lesson this morning is the shortest one in all of our sets of, of readings and lessons. But, and it's so short that I can just read it to you right now. Here it is. Luke chapter 2, And at the end of eight days, when He was circumcised, He was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. So I looked at the calendar this morning, and by my count, we are eight days after the celebration of Jesus' birth, which begins on Christmas Eve, the night of Christmas Eve. So here we are, eight days after his birth, the very same day when Jesus' parents had their baby circumcised in keeping with the Torah, Old Covenant Law. Now, it's one thing for us to know that this is a requirement under the Old Covenant, but quite another for us to know why. Why is it important that Jesus was subjected to the law of God, and why is that good news for us? So, we'll uncover some of the layers around this topic of circumcision, and it's, 
It's going to be more than just head knowledge for you. It's going to be more than just an answer to trivia questions. It's going to be relevant to you because we're going to answer a couple of questions. And they're really simple. Number one, why was Jesus circumcised? And number two, what does that mean for you? Why was Jesus circumcised? And what does that mean for you? So we begin with question number one. Why was Jesus circumcised on the eighth day? Well, we already answered it in the most basic way because God commanded it. It was commanded by God. But what did God have in mind with this seemingly off-the-wall command? What was his intention? What was the purpose behind it? We must keep the entire narrative of the Bible in mind whenever it comes to these questions. We have to have in view the unfolding plan of salvation and God's work to bring redemption in history. And if we're going to do that properly, we have to begin where it all began in the Garden of Eden. God creates everything good, including mankind as male and female, who he calls very good. But that lasts all of two chapters, right? Until the fall into sin, Eve is tempted by the serpent, she eats first, and then Adam eats, and sin and death is brought into the world. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. But then, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes a promise. And normally, whenever we think about God making promises and planning to do stuff, we think of it in terms of Him giving us a promise. But in this case, He makes a promise to the serpent, to the devil. Here's what He says to the devil. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you will bruise his heel. That was God's answer to Satan, sin, and death. That was how he was going to fix everything, by sending forth the offspring of woman, one who would come to crush the serpent's head, even though the serpent would get in his licks as well. The serpent would bruise the heel of this promised offspring. And that right there, my friends, that is the singular promise that sets the entire trajectory for the narrative of Scripture. If you understand that promise and what God has come to do through the Savior, then you can interpret basically the whole of the Bible. This is what it's all about, is God's promise to the devil that the Messiah would come, the offspring of woman who would crush the serpent. Fast forward to God's institution of circumcision in Genesis 17. He calls Abraham, who before was named Abram, but he calls Abraham with this promise to make his name great, to give him lots of babies, to make him a, a great nation, and through him all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. And he gave him this covenant of circumcision. And this institution of circumcision, this rite of the cutting of the skin, this was always tied to faith. Romans chapter 4 tells us that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He had faith in what God said. It was faith in the promise that God had made all the way back in Genesis chapter 3. That same promise that God would now pick up here with this man, Abraham. Abraham was 99 years old when God gave him the covenant of circumcision. Think about that. Don't think about it too much. 99 years old. 
He, along with any of the males in his house, were to undergo the procedure. And after that, any male at eight days old. It was a reminder, a grotesque reminder, of the promised offspring, which would be produced only according to God's plan. Only according to his plan. God promised Abraham a son, an heir. You can imagine why he laughed. Why Sarai laughed. A 99-year-old man, freshly circumcised, attempting to reproduce with his 90-year-old wife. Impossible. But not with God. And this is how circumcision was tied to faith. It was faith in God's promise that he was going to deliver offspring for the redemption of the world. To be a circumcised male was to be one who was brought into the household of Abraham and the Abrahamic faith in the promise. The promise that was given to Abraham, the, one, the same one that goes all the way back to Genesis 3. The same promise that frames the entire narrative of Scripture. And women, too, were recipients of that same promise as they were under their father's or eventually their husband's headship. It was a law that God's people were to follow so that they would always have before them this very graphic reminder of his redemption, of his salvation, of his promise that he intended to work for the world. Circumcision. So the fact that Jesus was in, was in fact circumcised at eight days old is no small matter. It shows us that even at such a young age, even at just eight days old, Jesus was already at work to bring us that promised redemption, the thing that God decreed all the way back in Genesis 3, the crushing of the serpent, the defeat of our enemies of sin and death. By being circumcised, Jesus, the giver of the law on Sinai, was brought under the law and made subject to it. He was made a true heir of Abraham according to both the flesh and according to the rite of circumcision so that he could procure, he could, he could lay hold of those Abrahamic blessings and promises and that he would be able to give them to the entire world. In the circumcision of Jesus, we see Israel reduced down to one person, the true Israel. And this true Israel would fulfill the law in every aspect. He would fulfill it both passively and actively. He would remain under the law and he would be tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He would be put to death at the hands of lawless men. He would suffer and die so that we who were under the law and its condemnation would be made free. So that we would not be children of the law, but children of the promise through his glorious resurrection. Why was Jesus circumcised? He was circumcised for you. Jesus Christ, the very word of God by whom all things came into being, did not need to be a recipient of God's promises. He did not need to undergo the rite of circumcision in accordance with God's old covenant, but you did. He did not need God's blessing, his righteousness and salvation, but you did. He became a man and was subject to the law so that you would be made an heir of the promise of eternal life so that you would become God's dear child. 
So that leads us to our second question. What does this mean for you? What bearing does Jesus' circumcision have on your life? This is a matter of identity. This is about who the Son of God is and who you are. Jesus did what he did and he fulfilled the law of God to a T so that you would be united to him, so that you would share in his sinless perfection and so that you are counted righteous in God's sight by faith in his death and his resurrection. The same faith that Abraham had when he took God at his word, even though he was 99. By faith, you are a child of Abraham and all the promises that come with that. Eternal life, salvation, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, all of that stuff we confess every Sunday. Pardon and peace in this life and the life to come. This is who you are, not because of your obedience, but because of Jesus' obedience to the law. Because of his innocent suffering and death. Because of his death-defeating resurrection. It's who you are. So where do you receive all those benefits? Where do you get the circumcision of Christ? How has that good news, that promise that comes with Jesus' circumcision and all the Abrahamic promises attached to it, how has it come to you? It has come to you not by a removal of the flesh, but by something else, by a different kind of circumcision. See what Paul says in Colossians chapter 2. He says, In him, in Christ, also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith and the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In holy baptism, you have received the circumcision of Christ. You've been made a new creation. Let me drop something on you here. Why was Jesus circumcised on the eighth day? Why did God set it up that way? Why was it on the eighth day? He was circumcised on the eighth day because that was the day that anticipated the new creation. The original days of creation, we have six plus the seventh day on which God rested. But the eighth day, that was something new. That was a day of new creation. Noah and his family were saved through the waters of the flood. Eight souls in all, the number of new creation. Jesus rested in the tomb on the Sabbath, right? The seventh day. But he was raised on the eighth day, the day of the new creation. The church gathers to worship on the eighth day. I know it doesn't make sense. There's only seven days in the week, but just go with it. Sunday is the beginning of a new week, a new creation. That's why we call it the eighth day, right? We have this tradition of baptizing infants on the eighth day, although that's not necessary, right? Some of the baptismal fonts that you see in some of our Lutheran churches, how many sides to them? Eight, eight sides, right? It all ties, it ties all of these ideas together. The new creation, the promises of Abraham, the circumcision of Christ, holy baptism. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll get to celebrate a baptism. 
And whenever that happens, what you will see is God at work giving the circumcision made without hands, the putting off of the old flesh and the new creation that is brought about by the Holy Spirit through the word. Although to our eyes, it just appears like a little bit of sprinkling of water, but with the eyes of faith, this is what it is, the circumcision of Christ. Person being baptized, he will be given into the name of his Lord, the one who is named Jesus, the one who saves us from our sins. You've been given that as well. You've received his own name placed upon you so that you can call upon it at any time. And so that you would live before this world in righteousness and in blessedness. And you do this, church, because you have been purchased, you have been bought with something far more precious than gold or silver. You've been purchased from sin and death by the very blood of the Son of God, who even at eight days old was bleeding for you. So may your 2023 be lived from the one who covers you in his blood and gives you his righteousness, salvation, and peace. In the name of our Lord Jesus, amen.